Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Will Leitner. I'm sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you doing today, my man? I'm good, Will. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to talk about uh, this topic um, this morning. As you guys know, we've been working through the doctrines of grace, um, the common acronym TULIP, and this week we'll be speaking on perseverance of the saints. So, Eric, I'll pass it back to you. Help us, um, what does perseverance of the saints mean, and how does it connect with all the doctrines we've studied thus far? Yeah, we talked earlier about the fact that each of these uh, sort of has a building component on each one. We begin with total depravity, right? We have to start at the place of our of our sin, uh, and then when we acknowledge that, we, we also recognize in Scripture that there is an unconditional election which God um, gives to those whom He chooses to bring to salvation. And then limited atonement was uh, referencing the fact that that God uh, atones for or pays for a very particular people, those whom he has predestined and called to salvation, his atonement, uh, the atonement of Christ, the blood of Jesus spilled to pay for the sins of sinners, is applied directly to God's people. And then we talked about irresistible grace, that is that when God extends this grace, his people respond uh, because the Spirit is effectual in its in its work. Uh, and then when we come to perseverance of the saints, it's really the ground level upon which we all live from day to day. Uh, am I going to be a believer and walk with Christ from here, and can I be certain that God is going to ultimately and finally save me uh, in the end? And so what we mean by this, we use the language perseverance of the saints, because it and, and, and yet that's sort of me-centered. Uh, or humanistic, I guess, in its approach. What we really mean is that God is so faithful in bringing his people to salvation that he will be faithful all the way to the end so that none of those people who belong to God will ever fall away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it really is a a somewhat of a common concern or discussion uh, among various folks in different denominations. You know, will, will I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? And then there's times in your life where you go, I'm not totally sure that I'm uh, living like a believer. Maybe I have lost my salvation. And so those are the kinds of concerns that this particular doctrine addresses. Right. Well, and like we've said in our um, series with the five solas, our foundation for all of our knowledge um, comes to the scriptures. So wh- where do we see this laid out in scripture, um, specifically this doctrine about how the believer cannot lose his salvation? Yeah. The, you know, uh, one of the first that comes to mind is is Romans 8. You know, there there it's it's sometimes called the order of salvation, the order of salutis, and it gives a, a list. Others have called this the golden chain. In other words, um, it gives a very clear link in each chain for how the Lord um, brought his people to salvation. And there it says, all those that God predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Um, and, and obviously the connection is that, that in that chain, uh, from the very foundations of the world, 
from the moment that God predestined, it was an utter certainty that it would also bring them to glory. Mm-hmm. And, and so when Jesus is teaching in John chapter 6, uh, he says, all those whom the Father gives me will come to me, and I will never cast them out. And he goes on to say in that passage, I will, I will raise them up on the last day. Um, when we talk about the, the term saints, we're really talking about, we're not talking about a, a special class of perfect people. We're talking about those who are the elect of God, those who God, whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world to receive salvation through Christ. And so um, the certainty of this when Jesus says, I'll raise them up on the last day, is the certainty that all those that that God did predestine, elect, call, bring to salvation, will in fact be raised from the dead in the last day and will be united to Christ forever. Absolutely. And I figured it'd be good to at least come to this passage of Romans 8 and mm-hmm. just read it. Um, verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So just like you were saying, there's that golden chain. If if you're called by God, he will glorify you, and you can't break the chain. Yeah, and what a great comfort, even the way that begins. Um, There's a sense in which, read the first part of 29 again for us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the part I was thinking, conformed to the image of his son. Philippians 2 in in verse 13 says a really similar concept, and, and that is, that uh, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think in some ways when we doubt this doctrine or when people are confused or questioning this doctrine, what they're often doing is negating uh, the profound ministry and wonder of the Holy Spirit in their lives. What Paul just said in Romans 8 is what he repeats in Philippians 2. And that is that it is the Lord who is at, who is actively at work transforming you uh, in this life so that you will be one day glorified completely in Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about glorified, it means completely sinless, perfect, um, and holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Like Peter talks about that uh, as well in, in 1 Peter 1. Um, that we're to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. Mm-hmm. So, and I love too. Just but right before he talks about conforming us to the image of his Son, he says he's going to work all things for our good. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sense in which the believer um, will have every molecule mu- uh, move in the universe so that he or she is conformed to the image of his Son. Mm-hmm. And you just see his his argument as he keeps moving. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right here in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, I think it's so encouraging to hear that because um, what's on the hook here and what's at risk in this doctrine is not my quality of character by way of my own capacity to be the kind of guy who can persevere. Right. What's on the hook here is God's faithfulness and the work of His Spirit. So when we talk about perseverance of the saints, what we're really affirming is uh, the Lord who calls us is so powerful and certain in His steadfast love that He will be the one who makes certain that we go all the way to glorification. Amen. Yeah. And that's what's—I love that uh, passage because 
sometimes I'll be meeting with people and I'll say, do you ever still think about um, a parking ticket that you've already paid for? Hmm. And no, it's like once you've paid for the fine, then there's no reason to um, continue dwelling on it. Hmm. And it's Paul's whole argument is who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So there's no need to fret over your justification hmm. because it's God himself doing it. Yeah. And then that's where he goes into the next portion, which is, and all these things are more than conquerors. Mm. Because if God's the one justifying and God is the one who's glorifying, then that means nothing can get in the way of God. So mm-hmm. it looks like nothing's going to separate you that's, from God. Yeah. And, and I mean, what you've just said is that it's God's glory that's, that's on the hook here mm-hmm. too, right? Um, and so for him to lose one of his own children would be a mark against his glory and honor. Um, so I think what you've just touched on then helps us recognize the delineation between the way the Bible often speaks, right? It speaks at one level about the absolute certainty of God's power so that you and I as believers who are living and walking in this earth will be aware of that. But then it also tells us at ground level, here's how you are to live in order to persevere. All right. And, and, and anybody who ever uh, studies the Apostle Paul and his letters always recognizes that his letters are made up of what is true concerning you in Christ and then what to do concerning his call upon you in Christ. And the what to do is how you live at ground level, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point because just like we've just read from Paul, he says, you know, in all things we're more than conquerors neither height nor depth he goes in this all list uh, a list of all these things things mm. to come things present there's nothing that'll be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus mm. he also says second corinthians thirteen five: examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith mm. test yourselves yeah and so i think that's one thing that people see in the scriptures is these warning passages you mm-hmm. know, in hebrews there's constantly this whole warning do not fall away do not fall mm-hmm. away so how do we reconcile that with this idea that believers will not fall away yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Um, you mentioned the Hebrews passage. The The book of Hebrews is really written to uh, to saints who, who are of Jewish ethnicity. Uh, and in the midst of persecution being ramped up, the temptation for them under the reign of the Roman Empire was, we won't be persecuted if we, if we go back and just start uh, embracing Judaism. But as long as we're Christians, we are being persecuted. And so the, the charge uh, from the pastor who preaches the, the book of Hebrews is, say, is really a charge to remain in the faith, to persevere in the faith, to stand with Christ and continue with him because you began in him, and that's really the only hope of your salvation, mm-hmm. right? If you go back to your former way of Judaism, you better be sure that you utterly perfect it higher than the Pharisees and greater than um, – than anyone who's ever lived except except for Jesus. Mm-hmm. When you embrace Christ, you're suddenly embracing a righteousness that belongs to someone else. So the, the charge at ground level is uh, do not walk away from the faith. And isn't it fine for, uh, for a dad to say that to his child or a mother to say that to her, her child? That's super common, right? I, I can look at any of my children and, and say to them, you're my daughter, you're my son, you belong to me. I want you to live in such a way that you enjoy what it means to be a part of our family. Right. I mean, you can you can run off. You're, you, if you do that, that would be your action. Uh, you would not lose your identity, 
but you would lose the pleasure and enjoyment of what it means to to live near and close to your father. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it helps us when we recognize this isn't just a Paul, and it's not just whoever the writer to the Hebrews is. Right. Um, Good point. But it's also you know, Peter says very much the same thing. He says in First uh, Peter one, you know, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, he's saying it is going to be brought to you. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you be also holy in all your conduct. Right. Um, and, and so he, he makes the point very obviously. You're, you are going to be granted this grace in the last day. Make sure you enjoy what it means to live as an obedient son. Uh, and then, he, of course, he connects the be holy for your Father in heaven is holy, uh, which, is, which is part of what it means when Jesus is teaching his disciples to be disciples. He's teaching them what it means to, to uh, live as sons of the king um, and, mm-hmm. and citizens of the, of the kingdom, you might say. Well, I think one thing that's helpful, too, is going back to the fruit imagery. Mm-hmm. So those who have been given this gift of perseverance, those who, who are saved by Christ and will be glorified on the last day, mm. or as you brought up from First Peter, you know, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, those people will have the fruits of that promise, which is right. they will not fall away. Yeah. And so That's when right. we another passage I think a lot of people struggle with is Hebrews six. Mm-hmm. You mind if I read that real sure. quick? Sure, yeah, go ahead. So the author of Hebrews says for it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So most people will look to this passage and say, here's an example of a believer, you know, he's Enlightened, he's tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, but has fallen away. Mm-hmm. So, how should we look at this passage? I think it relates a lot to what we've talked about with the fruit imagery and all of that. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, the context that we just described with the writer to the Hebrews, right? We know we know the context into which he's writing is those who are being tempted to uh, to walk away from Christianity, and so obviously that context tells us something. But uh, it's the it's the language of enlightened um, or having tasted the Holy Spirit. It's that kind of language that's so challenging for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be that uh, being enlightened means that they have been brought to salvation in Christ. Uh, what it what it can also mean at ground level, of course, is just simply that they've been in and around the mercy and grace of God. They've right. witnessed the testimony of God's work in the lives of others and maybe even enjoyed the blessings of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, when he says it would be impossible for them who've tasted that and then walk away to receive salvation, it is identical to Jesus' words when he speaks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Those, those passages are completely connected. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to have been in and around the ministry of the Holy Spirit, presented the offer of salvation, and then rejected it and walked away. So why can Jesus say that's the one sin that God cannot pardon? He says that because if you reject Christ, you cannot be saved. Mm -hmm. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In the same way, that's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. 
to have tasted it, to have been in and around and enjoyed the blessing of it, but walk away, well, there's no salvation outside of Christ. Right. And I think we can look at specific characters in the scriptures that have fulfilled this list. So, mm-hmm. for instance, a guy like Judas, who has been enlightened in spiritual knowledge mm-hmm. and has tasted the heavenly gift and has shared in the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. when Christ sends out the disciples to prophesy and cast out demons. He has tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and yet he has fallen away. And and right. Pharaoh as well, which you've talked about in mm-hmm. the um, our series in Exodus at our church. Pharaoh is another example of someone who's clearly seen God's power oh, yeah. and the goodness of God's word, mm-hmm. and and tasted in the or shared in the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and yet um, rejects God. That's right. These profound miracles are done right before his eyes, and and the Bible continually says Pharaoh hardened his heart, or his heart was hardened. Um, those kinds of languages. So, so it's really good. We've hit on some applications, but let's close there with just what are some things devotionally that when we look at the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, what is something that you want our church to know and to hold on to when we look at these truths? Thank you for asking that. I think that, you know, if we if we think about these doctrines and our hearts are not moved uh, to be more tender to the Lord, then we've probably really missed the purpose of understanding them. Um, and so it's really important to think about how can this doctrine be used to to move my my sometimes cold heart to a place of warmth. Um, and I think you begin with this. Uh, one of my one of the pastors that I used to serve with in Huntsville, a man named Charlie Wingard, uh, once said, "Because God perseveres, believers will also persevere." And he said, "Salvation is God's work, and God never fails." Um, so for for one point of application, you recognize that this suddenly takes it all out of your hands. In the, and, and what I mean by that is in the sense of my need to worry. Am I going to be one who perseveres? Well, if I belong to Christ, uh, I don't even have to be concerned about that. My only job is to enjoy what it means to live as a son or a daughter of the living and true God. And that's the privilege that actually warms my heart, because I do not live from day to day in fear of whether I am obedient enough the sacrifice of Jesus Christ tells me that there's a righteousness given to me that has already paid for the, the sacrifice of Jesus' death, and the righteousness given to me tells me I'm already sufficiently in Christ. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more I, I can do in order right. to earn that identity. So in that sense, what what I would hope for our people is that actually gives a great comfort. I belong to Jesus, um, period, the end, and God promises to carry all those who belong to him to the very end. The second thing I think it can do most helpfully uh, is to give us a different perspective when we do struggle with sin. Um, and, and, and here's what I mean. Uh, the evil one who is often called the accuser in the scriptures, um, the slanderer, the liar, would want us to believe that when I sin, it means that I'm separated from God. What the Bible actually teaches us is that when I sin, which I've been doing from the beginning, uh, when I sin and I'm aware of it, it's actually proof that the Holy Spirit is within me. Otherwise, I would never even know that I sinned or care that I sinned or be bothered by it in the least. But the very fact, so when I when I sin and, and each of us has some sort of besetting sins or sins that we continue to fight with and bat, do battle with, um, the tendency of the heart, of our human heart in its weakness, and the tendency of the evil one to accuse us is to say, see, 
there you go again. You did it again. There's no way that you belong to Jesus. You wouldn't do this if you did it. Um, but the testimony of the Bible is uh, when you find yourself in the midst of those sins and hating them and being angry over them and, and longing to be freed from them, it's actually evidence that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right. Because the Spirit dwells in you, and it's the Spirit who's doing this work to transform you from one degree of holiness to another. Um, so, I find great I find great comfort in that. Uh, it's a it's an incredible tendency of our hearts to want to beat ourselves up when we find sin, uh, and and I don't I'm, I'm fairly convinced that that's really not the purpose of uh, these doctrines. Uh, certainly we want to grieve our sin we want to be sorrowful over it um, but we do not want to languish there as if our identity is once again uh, sinner uh, in need of a salvation that's beyond hope because I'm such a mess right uh, we languish there too long and we give we take away the beauty of God's gospel and I think in uh, finally, it also gives a real motivation to fight our sin as well, because mm-hmm. in Hebrews 12, it talks about running the race with perseverance set before us, throwing off the weight that hinders and this, um, the sin that entangles. Mm-hmm. And then it says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, mm-hmm. who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. And so why do we fight sin? We fight sin because Christ has started our faith, and He will finish our faith, mm-hmm. and He is our motivation. We consider Him, and we look forward to the day in which there will be sin no more, and we'll worship um, perfectly with Him for all of eternity. Yeah, so I think in, in response to that, that's a, that's a super point. In response to that, you want to think through the fact that, that standing out there is this profound promise that God is the one who is faithful to cause us to persevere. Um, and then at ground level, I live day to day clinging to the cross of Christ, uh, asking and seeking for transformation through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But that, that Holy Spirit is God's deposit. It's his guarantee uh, that he is, he is going to complete the work that he began mm-hmm. in us. Amen. Well, thank you so much for our time, Pastor Zellner. Yeah, thank you. And um, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you guys at our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.